morning. Thank you guys for joining us. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Beautiful weather. Well, thanks you guys for joining us here at Faith Bible Fellowship. My name is Ricardo. We're going to just be continuing our series that we started last week. We started on a new series. We're just going to be wake, making our way through the book of 1 Timothy. And we're calling this series House Rules, God's House Rules. And we're just going to be going through and seeing kind of what, um, what Paul gives Timothy and writes his book to Timothy and kind of instruction, instruction instructs him in a way of how to handle God's house, how to handle the church, things that he should be focusing on and things of that sort. So we're going to be just making our way through this book and just kind of pointing out different things that we believe God is calling the church to focus on and specifically its leaders. So we're, um, we're going to be continuing in First Timothy. We're going to finish the first chapter. We're going to be starting in verse 12 and just making our way through the rest of the chapter. So from verse 12 to 20. We're going to just read those and then see what kind of God has in store for us. So if you will, as we've been doing lately, stand for the reading of God's word. Once again, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, reason, that in me, At the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to to gather as your family, gather as your church, Father God, and just sing songs of praise, sing songs of worship to you, Father God. They were able to come in this building, sit in these comfortable chairs, in this AC room, Father God, and just sing glories to you, Father God. Sing about the wonders and majesty of your cross, Father. We ask that as we spend this time together, Lord, this next several moments, that we're able to just dive into your word, Father God, and receive what you want us to receive, Father God. That we're able to to grow in our understanding, grow in our faith, grow in our love for you, Father God. That you show us the areas where we're lacking faith, Lord, and that you chisel them away. We ask that you bless this time together, Lord, that you eliminate any distractions we may have, Lord. May we just take these next several moments to just praise you, Father God, to spend time with you, to learn about you, Father God. We ask that you bless our time together, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be edifying to this congregation. In your name we pray. Amen. 
So really, I, in studying these, these verses this week, I really only have one major point. The main idea is that the purpose of the cross is to bring us from death to life. That all, this is what we're seeing here. That, that, that Christ died. And we get this from verse 15. They say that, this, that, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's the purpose of the cross. It's to, to save people like us. To bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's the sole purpose of the cross. And it's not just, this isn't just a life that we live, that, 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 that the cross gives us a calling to live a certain lifestyle. That we are to, to, to give our lives for Christ because he gave his life for us. And, and being called from spiritual death to spiritual life, as one of my pastors used to do it, he used to say that we're also called from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. That as we grow, as we're, as, we're, as we're taken over by the power and love of God that we see in the cross for our lives, that we're called not only from spiritual death to spiritual life, but to, from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. That we are to be growing in our faith. That we are to be becoming more like Christ every day because of what Christ did on that cross on our behalf. We see this in Colossians 2, 6-7, where Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As we're made new, as we're saved, as the cross brings us from death into life, we are to lean on Christ, lean on his wondrous work on the cross. And grow in that. It's the cross now becomes sufficient for us to grow in our faith, to grow in, in our maturity towards looking more like Christ. And it's in the cross that, that Paul says here that, that he has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to the service. The reason that God, that Christ is able to give Paul strength it's because of the work that he did on the cross. The reason that Christ is able to look at Paul and judge him faithful is because of the work of, of, of the purpose of the work of the cross of Christ. You see, God brings us to spiritual life, and in that life, we are to live a life in service towards God and service towards people. Not just the church, but just people in general. We are to serve and share God's love with people. We see this in verse 12, that, that God calls according to his standard. That who gives Paul the strength that he says in verse 12? I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. That the strength that Paul gets to, to, to continue in his ministry, to continue working out his faith, to continue to, to take on the persecution, to continue to, to thrive even though he may be in prison. It comes from Christ. That, that we, that Christ should be the one who sustains us as followers of Christ. As Christians, we should be being sustained in Christ. Or as it says in the King James Version, that, that, that Christ is the one who enables Paul to keep doing what he's doing. 
And so we should be enabled by the, by the work of Christ on that cross. That's what gives us strength. That's what enables us. That's what keeps us moving forward. Who judged Paul faithful? Christ is the one who judged Paul faithful. Or, or as, the, as the NSB may say, it's considered or counted. And some translations may even translate faithful as trustworthy here. Where, where Paul is, is counted, he's considered to be trustworthy. So, so if we are counted as faithful, we are being trusted, we are being believed and trusted with, with moving the cross forward, as, as Paul does, as Paul did and he still does through his work. That Paul was worthy of being trusted, worthy of being considered faithful because of the work of Christ on the cross. And it's the same thing for us, that we are determined faithful, that we are determined trustworthy because of what Christ did on the cross. That, that, that God looks on us and he sees the work of Christ and the work of Christ, his righteousness is imputed on us, given to us so that we are now considered, we are now counted as faithful, as trustworthy people of God. And in that faithfulness, in, in, in being worthy of trusted, God calls Paul, right? See that then, appointing me to his service. That, that Paul is appointed to, to a great service according to God's servant purpose, not man's purpose, but God's sovereignty, God's power, God being sovereign over all the nations, over all the earth, and trust Paul, calls him to a great deal. We see that God does the calling, that God just does the justifying. And we are to, to, to act accordingly, that, that we, just as Paul was appointed to service, we have to realize that, that as followers of Christ, as, as people who believe in God and believe in the death and resurrection of his son, to bring us to a saving faith, that we've also been called to a great service, that we've also been called to walk out our faith, to lead people and to share God's love with this world. We get this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. You see, we were were created to be God's workmanship here on earth. That, that, that God is calling us to, to, to service. God is calling us to live out our faith. He's calling us to action. We have to realize that God has prepared a work for us. That's why I said God brings us into spiritual life. And in that, he leads us to a life of service towards him and his people. It's because he has made good works for us. He has set them apart from the beginning of time for us to walk according in them. See, we're called to action. We're not called to just sit around and wait for opportunities. We're called to make opportunities to go out, go looking for them, looking for opportunities to share the love of Christ with people, to share the the truth of, of God's word. 
that we're all sinners, that we're all in, in, in the first Adam are made sinners before a holy and righteous God. We are to find opportunities to engage the culture, to share the gospel with people. That's the service that we've been appointed to. Because he, because Christ has judged us faithful, because we, are, we have been considered trustworthy of doing such works, that we should not just be about sitting down and waiting for Christ to return, but we need to be about getting out into the streets, into the world, and sharing the love of Christ with people. Sometimes we get so focused on trying to get people through the doors, into the seats, trying to figure out different programs where we can bring people in, but sometimes we have to meet people where they are. Sometimes we have to get up out of, get on our feet and walk and knock on doors or, or go to the streets and share God's love with people. We are not to be just sitting idly waiting for opportunities, but we are to call to make opportunities. And we do this because we don't lose sight of what happened at the cross. We do this because we, we understand the, the, the majesty, the power of the cross. And we understand what exactly happened. And we can't just keep that to ourselves. We have to share the hope and love that we find in the cross with people. Paul never loses sight of, of what was accomplished at the cross. At the beginning of verse 12, he says, I thank him. Why does Paul thank God? See, Paul, even though he wrote this, late, this letter, some scholars would say around the mid-60s. We see, we know that, that Paul's conversion happens right around 30, 33 A.D., 36 A.D. So it's been about 30 years since Paul has been converted, since he met Christ, since Christ met him on that road in Damascus, and he still does not lose sight of the depth of it and the severity of his sin. See this in in verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Paul does not lose sight. He does not forget where Christ has brought him out of. Sometimes we get so comfortable. We've been walking with Christ for so long that we oftentimes forget the mess that God has brought us out of. That we sometimes forget that we were once wretched, as worse as those people out there. We cannot lose sight of of where God has brought us out of. Paul doesn't lose sight. He remembers how, how evil he was before he came to a saving faith in Christ. He calls himself here a blasphemer. In other words, someone who slanders God or who speaks evil of God. And we, we know Paul's story, right? We know that Paul was a Pharisee, that, that really that he had a reverence towards God. But still, even though we know that of Paul, he still considers himself a blasphemer. Because he, he, it wasn't until he understood that Jesus Christ was the Son of God in the flesh, that he was the Son of God and God in the flesh, that he, he starts to understand the severity of, of what he was doing. That, that in, in speaking against Christ, he realizes that even in those days, even though he wasn't fully aware, even though he didn't understand the Scriptures fully as he thought, he was still a blasphemer. He goes on, he says, I am a persecutor. 
and we know the story, Paul. We know that, that Paul focused everything he had before he was, before Christ met him at Damascus, when he was still Saul, that he focused everything he had, all his time, all his energy, to opposing Christ and to opposing Christ's disciples. That he gave it his all. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Acts 22, 4, Paul again, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both man and woman. Once again, Paul says in Galatians 1, 13, For I have heard... For I have heard of the former you for you have heard of the former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. See, Paul Paul does not forget his story, does not forget where God has brought him out. That that before meeting Christ, he persecuted the church. Acts seven and eight tells us that, that Paul was there. Paul was one of the leaders when when we when we see Stephen being stoned to death. He goes on, he says, I am an insolent opponent. Or as some, some translation puts it, I am a violent aggressor or, or an arrogant man. Paul was described in Acts 8 as being, being someone who ravaged the church. He put all his energy into, into putting people, into persecuting anyone who proclaimed the name of Christ. Even instances where he's, he's led people to death. And Paul doesn't lose sight of that. Paul, even 30 years after he's been walking, after he's planted so many churches, after he's been walking with Christ for so long, does not forget where God has brought him out of. We cannot get comfortable. Even though we've been walking with Christ for so long, we cannot get comfortable. We, we must remember where God has brought us out of. And the fact that we're no different than anyone else. The only thing different is that God has given us the faith that we now have. That is a gift from God, as it says in Ephesians 2. So that no one can boast of their works. That even the faith that we have is a gift that has been given to us from God. Towards the end of 13, he says, But I have received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Just want to point a couple things out here because when I first was reading this and going through this, I, I kind of bumped on that and was like, Paul, what, what, are we, what are you trying to say here? This is a very interesting, interesting phrase. So first and foremost, ignorance and unbelief does not excuse sin. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is not saying that I, I'm excused, that, that I, I'm, I'm all right because I, I was acting ignorant in unbelief. See, your ignorance, your unbelief does not earn you God's grace. It does not ensure our forgiveness. We have to understand that as someone who, who acts out of ignorance, who, who acts in their unbelief, will still be judged, will still be punished justly according to God because he is a holy and righteous God and they are still sinning before a holy and righteous God. And we know from, from Romans 1, 18-20, that, that no one is without excuse. Paul says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. One by their unrighteousness, who by their unrighteousness suppress truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. 
for his, in his, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So we understand that, that really, even if, if one doesn't proclaim to know who Christ is, does not mean that, that they have an excuse to keep sinning. That, that, that God is made evident by just looking out at creation, looking out at the beauty of the world and seeing the clouds, seeing the trees, seeing the birds and the animals. That all points to God so that they are without excuse. See, people may act out in their ignorance. They may act out in their unbelief, but they're still held accountable to a holy and righteous God. All Paul is really saying here is, is that, that he, he was doing these things before he, he realized who Christ really was. Who Christ truly was. That, that there's a difference between acting in unbelief or acting in ignorance and, and, and acting in the prideful and willful hardening of, one, of yourself towards the truth. That there's a difference here about someone who just doesn't know any better against someone who's heard the truth of Christ and has decided to suppress that truth. He's comparing himself here to, to the false teachers that are attacking the church. That when he used to live this way, when he used to be a persecutor, when he used to be a blasphemer, he acted in unbelief because he did not know any better. Christ, God still had not reached him. But those are those false teachers who come to the church who know better, who know the truth of God, and choose to suppress it and act out in that. See, when Paul was doing these things, when he was persecuting the church, when he was blaspheming against God, as he says it, he was acting out of his, of his zeal for the law. And he did all this before he truly understood what the scriptures were saying. See, he was not acting as someone who was striving against the Spirit of God. And the truth here, the beauty here that I see here is that there's still hope for the person who acts out in unbelief. That, 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 that God will still reach that person who, who does not know any better, who has not had the truth revealed to them, that God can still reach them. That's the beauty. That's what I see here in verse 13. That God will have mercy. That he can still bring people to a saving faith like he did Paul. There's a danger of professing Christ and still acting or living in evil ways. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. He's, he's comparing himself to those, these false teachers. And they are the ones who are in danger. That there's a difference between unbelief and acting out and suppressing that belief. So he says, because I received mercy. Between, the, between here and verse 14, we see that Paul receives four things. He receives mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is simply God having compassion over his elect. That God looking at his elect, looking at his children, and having mercy over their life, and loving them, and sending his son to die for their sins. 
So we see that, that, that Paul received God's mercy. In verse 14 he goes, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The grace of the Lord overflowed or, or was more than abundant or exceeded in abundant, as the King James says. That, that the grace of God just overflowed out of Paul. See, our, our sin is so great that, that this is how grace needs to be. Grace, grace needs to be overflowing. Grace needs to be abundant because of how evil we are, because of how wretched we are. But, but God's grace is far better, far stronger than any of our sins that we can ever, ever do. We, the grace that we receive must overflow from us because of who we are to the core, because of what we are at, at, our, at our purest nature. What else is Paul giving Paul is giving, he says, to overflow me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That, that, that Paul was giving a saving faith. That, that, that the faith, like I said earlier, that the faith that we have is a gift from God. That we that even that without God we wouldn't even be able to to proclaim the name of Christ. That that to the core that we're so depraved that without God first regenerating us and sending the Holy Spirit to to soften the heart that we wouldn't be able to praise God to, to proclaim the name of Christ. That the faith that we have is a gift from God. And a love for Christ, this love that we have for Christ, this is also something that has been put into our, our hearts. That it, it's not of our own being. It's not something that we do. It's something that, that God gives us. So Paul receives mercy. He receives grace. He receives a saving faith. And he receives a love for Christ. That all these things are coming from God. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The saying is trustworthy or it is a trustworthy statement as, as the as the Nazbe says. We see this phrase here. It is a trustworthy statement. It's only used five times in all the scriptures and they're all in the pastoral epistles. We see it here. We see it again in 1 Timothy 3. We see it again in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy and then again in Titus. That these are the only times where this phrase is used. And it's very similar to when Jesus in the gospel says, Truly, truly, I say unto you. That Paul here, he's using this phrase. He's using the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get Timothy's attention here. Saying what I'm about to say, these words that are about to come, this is important. It deserves full acceptance. In other words, if you remember anything, anything that I've said to you, anything that I've taught to you, Timothy, remember this. 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In other words, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save us. That his purpose for coming is, is to bring God's elect to back to him. The purpose of the cross of Jesus Christ is to save sinners. It's to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life. See this in Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, see Paul, before he even gets here, he's, he's showing Timothy that, that I was an evil man. The things that I did before coming to Christ were evil, that, that I've persecuted people, that I've hurt people. But even in that, Christ still saves me from that. That no matter what we do, no matter how evil we may act, no matter, no matter the thoughts we may have, we have to realize that Christ came to save sinners. That is his purpose. You know, my favorite verses or, or group of passages ever in the Bible is, is found in Ephesians 2. It's my favorite. I'm going to get there. And just read it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Realize this. That he's saying you were dead. Already dead in the trespasses and sins. In which you unwalked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among, uh, among whom all we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body. In the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That we, we have to remember that at one point, before Christ came into our lives, before we were transformed, before we were, we were made new by the work of the cross, that we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Oftentimes, we, we forget just how, how wretched we truly were before coming to a saving faith in Christ. That we forget just the depths of, of the sins that Christ pulled us out of. This is why. This is the work that has been laid for us. That, that the love that we feel in Christ, the fact that we're no longer who we once were, that, that hope that we have, that Christ will return one day, is the same hope, is the same love that we need to be sharing with people. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We cannot just sit idly by without showing people the love of Christ 
without showing what, what the purpose of the cross is. That, that Christ came to earth to give an answer to sin, to rescue sinners, that, that our sins that we've committed are laid upon Jesus Christ on the cross. That, that, that the payment of sin has been paid in full. That when Jesus said, it is finished, that it, it is finished. That there's nothing left to be done. That, 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 there's, that Christ paid it all. And that's the power that we see in the cross. That's the love and mercy and grace that we need to be sharing with people. The purpose of the cross is to save sinners, is to bring us, bring people from spiritual death into spiritual life. And we, as, as God's chosen people, need to be on these front lines. We need to be sharing that truth with people. That we cannot say, I leave by. That we cannot, that, that we have to fully understand where God has brought us out of. That sometimes we have to realize just how wretched we were and be overwhelmed by, by God's love, by God's power and his grace for us. We read it today as, as a part of our scripture reading, just really what, what Christ did and, and we saw it proclaimed in, in Isaiah 53. It says in verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many to make intercession for the transgressors. That, that this is the work of Christ on the cross. That it's always been this way. That this is not a plan B. That, that God didn't all of a sudden just change his mind. But it's always been from the very foundations of the earth. That Christ would come and die for your sins. The purpose of the cross is to bring us from death to life so that we can be living examples of the saving work of Christ. See this in verse 16. It says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, that is the foremost sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That he is to be an example of Jesus Christ's perfect patience. That, that we are saved for God's work. We are saved to display God's grace, to display his glory, to display his mercy and his love for all to see. That in our lives, in the fact that we were sinners... That, that people and that we're now saved, that it's God's character shown in that, that his glory is shown in that, that his supremacy over all the earth is demonstrated in our lives. That we were once sinners and now saved. We are to be a display of that. 
that we are to share our story with people. That, that when people look at us, they are to see God's love. They are to see his glory. They are to see his grace and mercy. Because we, we know where we were. We know what we could be, what we will be if we didn't have Christ. We understand that we're able to stand here or sit here today and sing songs of praise because of what Christ has done. Not because we did anything. And we are, we are called to, to be that light to people. Be, be that salt. That people are to see God's glory. They are to see God's true character. They are to see his, his grace in our lives. We cannot do that without going out and, and, and sharing God's love. Without telling people about God's love, about his grace over our lives. And that that same love and that, that same grace is afforded to them. We all have a story. All our stories are unique. And what we've all been saved by God's love, by the power that is in the cross of Christ. You have a story because God can use you. He he goes on to 17, to the king of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That Paul here, he gives praise to the immortal. He gives praise to the invisible God. That the all-powerful, all-loving, omniscient, omnipotent God cares so much that, that he still comes down and he still intervenes to save his people. In 18, he says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare or or fight the good fight. That really here, well, Paul is calling Timothy and any ministers to execute their office diligently and courageously. That Paul is calling them to stand firm on the word of God. And to move forward and to act courageously and to be diligent in their working and what God is calling them to be. We fight the good fight as as people of, of God by going out and sharing his love and defending God to people that that when people try try to argue with you that you understand that you know your scriptures you know your Bible good enough that you can give a good defense for God. That we are to be make to to fight the good fight, to have the good warfare. We are to be actively seeking to 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 share God's love and His mercy with people. We do this by by holding faith and good conscience. See, Paul says here in verse nineteen: by rejecting this, by rejecting faith and rejecting good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith. See, God, God, he's calling us here to have, hold on to our faith and to have good judgment, to have a right thinking or, or a biblical discernment on things. That if you don't have this, if you don't have faith and you don't have a good conscience, if you don't first go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about things, what he says, you will shipwreck your faith. In other words, you will never reach your, dest- your final destination because you've sunken. 
That we are to fight the good fight. That we, we, we are to, to, to gauge, engage in a good warfare in faith and in good conscience. He ends, he says, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. They may learn not to blaspheme. A lot. In other words, what he means by deliver them to Satan, he's, he's basically, he's excommunicated them from the church. That we see that, that we are to, to hold the gathering of people, the membership of, of, of people into this, into a church. That we are to protect that and take that seriously. Take church membership seriously. And if people aren't living accordingly, if, if, if they don't have a good conscience and they're running around and, and, they're live, and they're just doing whatever they want and they're not staying true to faith, they're not staying true to what's been taught to them. What does Paul says? He says he's handed them over to God so that they may learn not to blaspheme. That at some point we may be called to, to, to excommunicate people from church or, or have some type of church discipline over certain situations to protect the flock at any cost. Ultimately, it's to, to hopefully to, for them to realize the errors of their ways. That's why Paul is handing them over to Satan here so that they may learn not to blaspheme. That we, as God's church, are called to uphold the ways of God. That we are to take God to people. That we are to, to share our love and to share the truth and to share the knowledge that we have with people. We are to fight the good fight and hold true to God's word. Hold true to God's character. God is, is the, the purpose of the cross is to call us ultimately into action, that we are to, to go and share the love, the mercy and grace that we have with people. That, that we are called not to just simply sit and wait, that we are to act, that we are to go out and, and be the example of God's perfect patience of his eternal love, of his grace, of, of his mercy towards people. We cannot do that without first stepping out. We cannot bring people. We cannot share God's love. We cannot share his mercy. We cannot show people who Christ really is by simply choosing not to do anything. The purpose of the cross it's not only to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life, but it's to call us to action. That we are to move forward and walk according to God's way and share his love, share his mercy, share his grace with people, share the truth of God's word. We're called to action. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We we thank you that, 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 as your word says, that while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our trespasses, you sent your son to die for us, Father God. That even though we, we once walked according to the ways of this world, Father God, that you've loved us so much, that you, that you sent your Son, that you had mercy and you had compassion over us, Father God, that you sent your Son to die for our sins. 
that we now, in the work of the cross, in the power of the cross, are able to have an intimate relationship with you, Father God. May we not forget that. May we not forget where you've called us out of, Father God. May we not forget the work, the majesty of your cross, Father. We thank you for that, Lord, that you've loved us, that you are rich in mercy and great in love, that you've given us a way out, Father God. We thank you as that you be with us the rest of this day. May we honor you, Father God, in our thoughts. May we honor you in our actions. May we rest in your love. May we rest in your mercy and grace today, Father God. May we take this day, may we take the time that we have today to spend more time in your word, spend more time in prayer, resting in your truths, resting in your mercy, resting in your grace. We pray all this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen.